0: Good morning. We are glad you're with us for the second time of putting this thing on the Facebook live feed and getting to still worship despite the fact of the coronavirus changing everything for us all around. Uh, we're thrilled to get to be in my backyard today. So if you're looking around online and you notice, hey, uh, it don't look like they're in church, we're not. And I think God has lined that up on purpose as far as our definition of church being a church building rather than the group of people. Uh, that were all around. So I'm thrilled to say, and I didn't expect because the internet failed at, uh, at the church that we could come to my backyard and do this. I didn't know how many would actually be in the backyard, but I knew a lot of you'd be lining, lining up and, uh, being online live with us at your homes, uh, in cul-de-sac still with some of those, uh, neighborhood parties and, uh, maybe even a campground or two that I've heard that people are staying at during this time. So, uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, today will be a little different since we're outside, obviously, and, um, we won't have any worship because a couple of our people are getting cleared and in the way of uh, making sure that they're good to go as far as when it comes to being safe, healthily. And uh, next week, they'll be cleared and we'll all be good to go. So uh, I do want to give you a couple of updates on announcements since we haven't been in contact in a while. And uh, the first one is because a lot of you have asked about your tithes and your offering. Uh, you can mail those in if you want to. Uh, we know God will provide. So in all honesty, during this time, if you don't have it, we're not worried. Uh, but we did also get Givelify, um, and you can go to Givelify, their website, and uh, look up Brookhaven, and you'll be able to give there if you want, uh, from the comfort of your home, just like you're, you're watching service. And uh, the only other announcement we really got is I wanna make sure that we know that there's online networking uh, readily available. We had the opportunity to help out one lady this week who is in need um, through many people reaching together and, and joining to get that accomplished. Um, so we wanna be able to do more of that. So if you know of somebody in need, uh, if you yourselves are in need, uh, Facebook message the church, uh, text me, call me. Uh, let me know because we have a lot of team members in the neighborhood, the community, in the body of Christ uh, that is ready to help. Uh, they're ready to give that hand. They're ready to support you, uh, to help you and encourage you uh, despite all the headaches that uh, that seem to be going our way. If you look at them that way, maybe God's just telling us it's time to take some rest uh, and, and slow down rather than uh, let the world control who we are and whose we are all right uh at this time we'd also like to start our normal praise time so if anybody in my backyard or if you guys online uh want to comment and share some of your praises crystal will share those with us while she's reading and uh, we would love to hear something good that god has done so uh please share any praise reports we have
1: well,
0: we praise god for a week of marriage amen a week of marriage Mitch, come in with a little smile and a little shine on his face this morning.
1: My shop is being built right now.
0: Oh, a shop that's been prayed for for months. (laughs) Finally getting some walls and a roof on it. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the word of the Lord of Prayer then before Marty comes up and and reads our verses for today. Father God, we are so grateful, Lord, that uh, you provide ways, God. God, when the world tries to shut down ways, Lord God, you just open them up, Lord. Lord, you make a way. Uh, despite the evil that's outside, Lord God, despite probably, uh, Satan's joy, Lord God, that he may have slowed down or stopped the gathering of believers. Lord, you made us capable to get this thing done, Lord. Lord, I pray right now, God, that this morning be something that brings glory and honor to you, Lord. Lord, I pray this morning, God, that our minds are reminded, God, our hearts are open to not only hearing your word, Lord God, and seeing you live and shine through us, God, but be reminded of the blessings, Lord, that you pour out to us every day, God, God, help us to learn from David's example. Lord God, to remember the past promises, Lord God, the present promises and the future promises, Lord God, that are wrapped up in your word. God, we are calling you out like David does at the end of this chapter, God. God, we're calling you out on your promise. Lord, you said if my people will gather, if they will humble themselves, Lord God, that you will do great and marvelous things. God, we want to see great and marvelous things done this morning. For it's in your great name we pray. Amen. Amen.
1: 2 Samuel chapter 7. When the king had settled into his palace and the Lord had given him rest on every side from all his enemies, the king said to the prophet Nathan, Look, I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God sits inside tent curtains. So Nathan told the king, Go and do all that is in your mind, for the Lord is with you. But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go to my servant David and say, this is what the Lord says. Are you to build me a house to dwell in? From the time I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until today, I have not dwelt in a house. Instead, I have been moving around with a tent as my dwelling in all my journeys with the Israelites. Have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribal leaders of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, Israel asking, why haven't you built me a house of cedar? So now this is what you are to save my servant David. This is what the Lord of the armies says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and I have destroyed all your enemies from before you. I will make you a great name like the one of the greatest of the earth. I will designate a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they may live there and not be disturbed again. Evildoers will not continue to oppress them as they have done. Ever since the day I ordered judges to be over my people Israel. I will give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares this to you. The Lord himself will make a house to you. When your time comes and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up after you your descendants, who will come from your body, and I will establish, establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will discipline him with a rod of men and blows from mortals. But my faithful love will never leave him as it did when I removed him from Saul, when I removed it from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever and your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported all these words and the entire vision to David.
0: I got a question for us. And the main question is this. Have we ever been told no? Maybe your mom, maybe your dad, maybe your girlfriend, boyfriend, husband, wife. But have we ever been told no by God? You know, I think it's easy to look in scripture and to have church and to gather and to study his word and understand there's a lot of lessons to know how to praise God when he says yes. It's easy to praise God when he gives a blessing. It's easy to praise God when he does something phenomenal. It's easy to praise God when things go the way we want them to go. But how do you praise God when God says no? And there in itself is probably a lesson more of us need to learn how to praise God, how to respond when God tells us, no. How often is it that we even come to church since last week discussed worship and and many lessons today will also discuss worship. How often is it that we come to church with the mindset of, I've got something to bring to God. I've got something to bring for God. I've got something to do for God. Well, much like what Marty just read and, and in this chapter, we may think we have something to bring to God and to do for God, but Yahweh is saying, you came to bless me? with the, with a a sarcastic question mark behind it. He said, I'm ready to bless you. That's my job is to do the blessings to my people and get ready to do that kind of stuff. So as we dive into this chapter, God tells us that he's the one that provides for us, not us providing for him. God provides for us. God's not going to fit in some box or some temple or some building of our choosing, which is why I love the fact of, despite the technical difficulties of technology I'm glad that we don't get to meet in a building today for this because the building is nothing more than walls and a roof. We are the church building. We are the people of God. We can't domesticate God and keep him in a box, tamed and, and, and like he's a pet at our house. God lives inside his people, his nation, his, his, his followers. And that's where he desires to be. So here's what I want us to take notice at the very beginning of this chapter. David proposes to build God his temple. Now, now, I want to take notice of this because it shows us in the very beginning, still the godliness of David during his season of rest. It tells us that, that they're now in a season of rest. They have won the battles, that there is peace coming over, that they, they've got Jerusalem where it's supposed to be. They, they've got the ark back where it's supposed to be. So this is during his season of rest, his, his time period after being blessed so much. And yet still this this chapter and these verses in the beginning tell us that David has taken time to meditate on God's word. He's taking time to meditate on God's word over godly matters and he's in the presence of a godly man. You could say this, the way a man spends his leisure time says a great deal about him. Ask yourself, how do you spend your leisure time? How are you really spending this time right now with with the virus going around and, and so many places being shut down and so many restrictions being placed? Are we spending and taking advantage of the time that God's allowing us, almost forcing us to use to spend together and with him? Or are we just wasting it? David in his leisure time. Spent time seeking out God's desires. Looking for things that would bless God. Psalm 119, 63, David says that his friends. He's surrounded by the friends. That are those that fear the Lord. That's a good group to be around during this time. Right now. It's a good group to be around all the time. In all honesty. And I just picture maybe this scene at the very beginning. David is sitting in his temple. I'm sorry, not his temple. He did not have a temple. David's sitting in his palace. He's sitting at his house that's so luxurious, that's that's greatly made. You know, we discussed it in chapter six, uh, how well it was made, the people's desire to build David something great. And he's sitting there and he's relaxing and he's and he's thinking and he's meditating. And maybe maybe he glances out the window. And in that glance out the window, he sees the tent, just a tent outside. Knowing what's inside that tent, the Ark of the Covenant, symbolic of the presence of God. And maybe while he's sitting in his great big house and and he's thrilled with everything that he's got going on and everything that he has for himself and and the victories and, and the time of peace that they're in, maybe he sits back and he wonders, man, it really bothers me that the stuff I have is nicer than the stuff God has. So he begins to think, maybe it's time for me to be able to do something Differently, Use that word loosely. It kind of reminds me of last chapter of last week when they decided to carry the Ark of the Covenant rather than tote it on the poles like they were supposed to. They thought their different way would be better. David in this same thing, maybe not the exact same as Uzziah. Uzziah thinking that his job was to protect God. David now thinks it's his job to house God. And never mind that God's already told him how he wants to be housed. He thinks he knows something that is better because he thinks that way just isn't good enough. Are we guilty sometimes of thinking that maybe God's way isn't good enough? Are we guilty sometimes of thinking that maybe God's way isn't as as great and as glorious as, as it appeared to be in the beginning? and now we need to change it? You see, God doesn't want to be tied down to a building in this chapter. He, he doesn't want to become this, this, this God that's only in this house because the Ark of the Covenant was the symbolic presence of God. It wasn't literally where God lives. God is not bound by walls, whether they be a tent, or, or, or wood or stone or any other structure that we tried to make him. God can't be tied to one place. And it's sad for us to often think that we know better or we know more than God. Even if we mean well. David in this chapter, he's got great intentions. His, his motives are, are very positive. But sometimes our intentions and our motives, despite how good they may be, they're not very godly. And the good news here is that though David is troubled and, he, and he's worried about his place... He seeks out a friend, Nathan, a man of God, a man who, who spoke for God to, to David. And, and without any consult, Nathan instantly jumps on board with this thing. and says, you know what? That is a great idea, David. Go and build this place. The only problem was, as we look at verses four through seven, is that it wasn't a good idea. God wasn't happy with exactly this plan. Nathan never asked God what God thought. Nathan never prayed about it. He just thinks And he just wants to encourage his friend. And sometimes when we just think and we just want to encourage a friend, we give bad advice despite how good it may appear. It's funny when we read the beginning of this chapter, we see one of the easiest lessons when not build or why not to build the temple is because it wasn't necessary. We do a lot of unnecessary stuff when we really think about things in our walk with God. We do a lot of unnecessary stuff in our daily lives. We do a lot of unnecessary stuff. When it comes to our walk with God, rather than just taking God at his word and just flowing and doing the things that he's called us to do. So let's look at some of these lessons about good desires. And the first is this lesson about David's good desire and some of our own. It was forbidden, but it wasn't necessarily wrong. God just forbade David to build the temple. He wasn't saying that building the temple was wrong. He was saying that the timing necessarily at this point wasn't right. Look at first Chronicles chapter 22, verse eight. David is talking to his son, Solomon, about building the temple. And David says, but the word of the Lord came to me saying, you have shed much blood and have waged great wars. You shall not build a house to my name because you have said shed so much blood before me on the earth. We find out and David finds out years later that he wasn't allowed to build the temple because he had shed blood. God didn't totally disapprove. Of this temple there was two specific things that he approved of and the first was this The spirit in which the offer was made God speaks to david later on in this chapter or later on in this chapter in these verses And he says david you're wanting to do more than god has commanded Which I think knowing how we are today and how we operate That's a great thing Because in all honesty many of us probably ask the question what's the bare minimum That I can do What's the bare minimum That I can do to get by and still please God rather than try to go above and beyond rather than try to do more than God actually commands. David's heart was in the right place and God appreciated that heart being in the right place. Usually when a king or a leader would get to their position of power, maybe like us, when we get the blessing or the answer that we've been looking for and everything's going well, we forget about God. We forget about who brought us there and, and what happens. Maybe we even swell up with pride. That's not the case with David. David literally and and, and honestly, humbly wants to do something for the Lord. But like David, we can have visions. We can have ideas. We can have dreams. They can be biblical. They can be spiritual. They can be noble. But maybe they're not right for us. The us is the answer there. David had a great idea. He just wasn't the one that's supposed to be going for it. And maybe like Nathan, we can think, oh, it's a great idea and try to encourage somebody to go for it. When in reality, we should be saying, let's seek God's word on what he says about it. How important it is that we choose to say, Lord, I've got lots of ideas. I've got lots of plans. I've got lots of dreams. I've got all kinds of thoughts and things I want to accomplish for you. But if they're not part of your plan, God, please direct me in the way you want me to go. There's a good, bold, honest prayer. The second good thing about David was the object of his desire. God didn't say the temple was bad. He just said, David, you're not going to be the one to build it. God's presence in this tent for this period of time, keep in mind, being a tent made it mobile. You know, God wanted to be mobile. He wanted that visual reminder of his people as they, they came out of Egypt and they came to this new land that he wasn't in a fixed location. His presence was in his people. And just like today, God doesn't live in a church building. And we get ourselves in a lot of trouble if we think we got to go to church to meet God. God lives in the people of the church. We're proving that right now with with COVID-19 and church buildings and internets having problems. That that nothing can stop us from gathering in the presence of God. And that's good things. He lives in us, not in a place made with with wood or stone or brick. And God's not saying that the, the, the church isn't a bad idea. He's just saying we really mess up when we think we have to come to the church, this magic place, to meet with Him. We don't need that to meet with God. God is with us all the time. So ask yourself this morning, when God says no to you, what is your spirit and what is your objective? In all honesty, is your spirit and objective godly? David's spirit was pure. His objective was noble. But that's not always the case with us. Sometimes we get selfish, wrong motives and objectives. So there's the first thing. The second lesson we get is that the temple building was forbidden with good reasons. Look at God's presence not being confined to a location. I love that. We talked about that. The problem also was the absence of divine direction. God didn't tell David to build this temple. David came up with this idea on his own. So God asked this rhetorical question in verse 7. And In verse 7, he says, In all my journeys with all the Israelites, have I ever spoken a word to one of the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people, asking, why haven't you built me a home? Of cedar. There's no divine direction here, and there sometimes is a problem. We can have good ideas without divine direction. Israel had yet to be fully settled in the land; the time necessarily wasn't right. We're going to find out in future chapters that there was wars still to come and still going on. And maybe God just knew that if we were to use all, or if they were to use all those resources during that time period, maybe all that manpower building a temple during that time period, then if attack came then they wouldn't have had the resources and the manpower to fight it off. We must remember that sometimes we have good ideas, but we need to wait on God's timing because God's timing is what's most important when it comes to it being done right. Another thing we said in verse eight about him being the wrong man. Notice something about David being the wrong man. What God's really saying here in verse eight. Now, therefore you shall say to my servant, David. So he's pleased with David. He's still calling him my servant. Thus says the Lord of hosts. I took you from my pasture From following sheep to rule over the people of Israel. God is not saying that David is being sinful. He's simply redirecting him and reminding him of of God's purpose. God says, David, you're a shepherd. That's why I called you. That's what I saw in you. That's what I want to be doing. And that's what I want you to be doing. You're not a builder of buildings. You're a herder of sheep. You care for people. You go after people. You have a heart for people. That's who you are. That's where I found you. And that's why I called you. Sometimes we begin to do things that we weren't supposed to be doing that God hasn't seen in us, that he hasn't called us to do. Let's be grateful for the things that God has seen in us. Let's be grateful for the things that God has called us to do and equipped us to do. If you've been told no, also, here's another lesson. If we continue to study God's words, why can't just look at one chapter? David didn't respond by doing nothing. Look at first Chronicles chapter 29. I'm just going to read a couple of the verses of what David's going on here and what he's doing. He decided not to do nothing. He decided to gather material. Listen with me. So to the best of my ability, I've made provision for the house of my God. Gold for the gold articles, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, wood for the wood, as well as onyx stones for the mounting stones of various colors, all kinds of precious stones and a great quality of marble. Moreover, because of my delight in my house and the house of God, I now give my personal treasures, my own gold, my own silver for the house of my God over and above all that I provided for the Holy house, a hundred tons of gold, 250 tons of refined silver for overlaying the walls of the building, the gold for the gold work, And the silver for the silver and the work to be done by the craftsman. Now, who will volunteer to consecrate himself to the Lord today? Then in later verses, it goes on on how many leaders and how many warriors and how many people that God got together to raise up more tons, more gold coins, more material, more stuff to build this. And if you look at chapter nine and you listen right now and you're thinking, man, I'm tired of hearing that list, I'm tired of reading that list. Could you imagine if you were the people gathering this stuff and how tired maybe you have gotten doing that? So just because God says no doesn't mean you do nothing. Just because you can't have what you hope for, that doesn't give you the right to sit down in despair and, and waste your energies. It gives you a vision to arise and fix yourself on what you can achieve. No, you might not get to build, but you can gather materials for those that are. No, you might not be the one going down in the hole, but you can be the one that holds the rope. David was allowed to make lots of the preparations, the site, the materials, uh, finding the skilled craftsmen, clearing the way with all the other officials that needed to be done. David's, David's spirit revealed that he was willing to do the groundwork while others would get the privilege of building this building. We need more people today that are willing to do the groundwork and let others take the privilege of building the buildings. The world has too many people that don't want to plant a tree because they might not get to see the fruit that comes up for it. The church needs more people who are willing to plan and pray for the future needs of the church in mind. Those that will come up after us long after we're gone. There are many things that you would like to do but can't. But all of us can be a part of laying the groundwork for God's future plans. Go back to David and noticing that he's not the, the right man. Well, who is the right man? He said that David wasn't the right man because he had bloody hands. Because he was a warrior and he didn't want somebody who was warlike to build the temple, meaning that the Lord must have wanted someone to build who was peaceful. We know that years later, Solomon would be the man to do the job. By the time Solomon became king, the nation of Israel was at peace. So therefore, construction could begin. The time was right. The person was right and the material was gathered and the site was ready. David played a significant role in building the temple, even if he didn't actually Get to do the building. Maybe today that's a lesson for you. That you can play a significant role even when God has somebody else in mind for the main spot. Another lesson in this word forbidden or the word no. God told him no in a gracious manner. God was so gracious in how he spoke to David. Look at the regard that he shows for David. Repeatedly calling him my servant. Because he held David in such high esteem. This shows us that God was pleased with David. He even goes into a section where he reminds David of what he's already done. He says, David, don't forget, I took you out of the pasture. I took you from following sheep. I brought you from the pasture to the throne. I was with you when you defeated Goliath. I was with you when you conquered Jerusalem, when no one thought it was possible. I was with you when you did all these great things. And now that you brought the stability to Israel after the wild reign of King Saul, listen to verses 10 and 11 as God reminds David. How important stability really was. And I will appoint a place for my people. Israel and will plant them. So that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. God is reminding David that stability is necessary. Sometimes we need to get our lives a little more stable before God can use us for some of the work that he's got for us. Get your family life stable. Get your finances stable. Get your management of time stable. After all this, God gives him a promise of an enduring dynasty. Listen to the end of 11 and end of 16. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Funny play on words since David started out by saying, God, I want to build you a house. He says, you want to build me a house, David? I want to build you. A house 16 says this and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. David had a desire to build a house, but God said, I'm building you a house, David. The house that David wanted a physical structure, the house that God would build using the same word, but meant differently. A dynasty, a family, a lifeline. He says, I will set up your seed after you. God is specifically promising David a hereditary monarchy. And to you and I, that really doesn't mean much, but this would be the very first time. This is why this uh, promise is so important. This would be the very first time that that a a, a king will be succeeded by his son. Never before in Israel has a king been succeeded by a son. Saul's whole family gets destroyed. We know that. So, So note this. This great promise that God will make David had future fulfillment. Sometimes we need to remember that the promises God's given us have only a future fulfillment. And if we don't go through life with with the knowledge of faith for the future, we may miss out on some of God's blessings. What if David had had the mindset of, but God, what's in it for me right now? Is that maybe some of our mindsets? What's in it for me right now? What do I get out of it today? If we keep that mindset, we'll miss out on some of God's promises. And the sad truth, is that some of God's promises mean nothing to us because we've got the wrong attitude when we approach them. We've got the wrong mindset when we look at them. He goes on to say this, not only will I son up a seed, but he shall build a house for my name. I bet David smiled when he heard this promise. Knowing that he wouldn't get to build the house, the temple himself, he gets to know that one of his descendants would. He said, I will establish the throne of his kingdom Forever. David's family line ruled for 400 years, four centuries before they're eventually eventually removed because of some evil that took over. But hold on. God just said forever. Did he not? Isaiah chapter 11 verses one and two. It says yet out of the stump of Jesse, God raised up a new branch that will reign forever and ever. What's going to come out of David's family line is Jesus Christ. One that will never be defeated. One that will never be removed. While the temple that Solomon built will be destroyed, it came to an end, the temple that God is building will never come to an end because Jesus Christ will never stop ruling and being on his throne. That's so characteristic of God's dealing with his children. You want to do something great for me? I want to do more for you. Think about the way maybe we raise our children, how we want to do more for them. We want to bless them in certain ways. And we're only human parents. God desires to bless us in ways beyond all understanding. Second Corinthians chapter 8, 12 tells us this, that a willing spirit is not only accepted, but eternally rewarded. I point that out because David's just willing. He doesn't get to do a lot of what he wants to do, but he's willing. And God looks at that willing spirit and knows that he will reward it. Speaking of, of this, Jesus Christ, that's coming. Look at this next lesson. Why would it be forbidden? Why would the word no be pronounced? It's forbidden for a larger purpose. God's purpose was larger than anything David could imagine. It was larger than a building. It was larger than a temple that would eventually be destroyed. Verse 12. He said, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body. And I will establish his kingdom. King Solomon's line doesn't last it ends. But if you turn to Matthew chapter one, the very first words of the the new Testament, It says, for the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, Jesus, the fulfillment of this prophecy, multiple times referred to as the son of David. For this reason, God's greater purpose and plan for David's life involves the savior of the world, not just a temporary building, a temporary temple. David's plan was good and David's plan was noble, but God's plans are always bigger and always better. Let's look now and listen to the rest of these verses as Marty will come and read 18 through 29 to close out this chapter.
1: Then King David went in, sat in the Lord's presence and said, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? What you have done so far was a little thing to you, Lord God. You have also spoken about your servant's house in the distant future. And this is a revelation for mankind. Lord God, what you, what more can David say to you? You know your servant, Lord God, because of your word and according to your will, you have revealed all these great things to your servant. This is why you are great, Lord God. There is no one like you, and there is no God beside you as all we have heard confirms. And who is like your people Israel? God came to one nation on earth in order to redeem a people for himself, to make a name for himself and to perform them great and awesome acts, driving out nations and their gods before your people. You redeemed for yourself Egypt, from Egypt. You established your people Israel to be your own people forever. And you Lord have become their God. Now, Lord God, fulfill the promise forever that you have made to your servant and to his house. Do as you have promised, so that your name will be exalted forever. When it is said, the Lord of armies is God over Israel, the house of your servant David will be established before you, since you, Lord of armies, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant when you said, I will build you a house, I will build a house for you. Therefore, your servant has found the courage to pray this prayer to you, Lord God. You are God, your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, please bless your servant's house so that it will continue before you forever. For you, Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing, your servant's house will be blessed forever.
0: Today we gather in our, our groups, our body of Christ, because we celebrate Jesus, the descendant of David, the savior of the world, God's plan of, of salvation. He made a covenant with David, and I'm grateful to know that God is a covenant keeping God. He doesn't go back on his words and his promises. He refused David's request only to grant him something even greater than he could ever imagine. And sometime occasionally we only get to see glimpses of the revelation That God's got for us. Most of that comes in the future. And oh, for a faith that we would have as God's people to continue to do what God asks. Even when in our immediate, he says no to our requests and no to our desires. The ending of this chapter gives us lessons on how we respond immediately when God says no. How we truly begin to gather objects in, in, in in our ideas of worship. We recognize that God's got to build our house before we can build his David comes to God and, and God isn't interested in necessarily what David can do physically for him. And David, David has to respond in a certain way. And there's the lessons we need to gather today. How does David respond when God says, no, I love David's prayer. It doesn't focus on, on on the second fact that that God just took the the building permit away from him. He focuses on what God's doing in revealing to him. He humbles, humbles himself and thanks God for these promises. Look at the very first thing he does in this prayer. He says, God, I want to praise you for your present promise. David doesn't question the truth in Nathan's vision. He accepts it. How often is it that God may give us a no and we want to go and seek out another answer? How often is it that God says, not right now, and we want to seek out a different way to make it happen faster? David goes into no further confirmation. He goes into humility. It says that he sat in the presence of the Lord. And here's the words, 18 through 21, that he wonders. Why would you allow me to be part of this great plan? Why would you allow me, God, to be part of something that you're doing? There's a genuine sense of humility in David's voice here. He picked up on what God reminded him back in verse eight, that he, he was a shepherd boy. And, and he stops the question and he, and he raises the question of, of why can't I build into why have you brought me this far? Period. Have we ever took time to stop and ask God, God, why me? Have we ever sat before God and, and, and just sat and thought back to the, to the beginning eras of our life? That's what David's doing. He sits back and I bet he remembers that, that visit that Samuel had to his house, his father's house. I bet he remembers all the things that God had done to him to bring him to the throne in Jerusalem. Those wars, those battles, just that delivery of the time of a happy meal to fight a giant. How he's brought peace and prosperity now to Israel through David. One of our great temptations is to take for granted the blessings of God. It is good for our spiritual life to sit before God and remember how far that he's brought us. Keep in mind David here and some of the things that he's just gone through. How long a period of uncertainty was before he actually became king over Israel. All those years of a promise with no delivery. Now he's got another promise. And he's got the faith to back it up, saying, I know God will deliver. He says this in those verses. Who am I, O Lord? And at the same time, he says, therefore, you are great, O God. When David received this spectacular gift, he didn't think it made him any greater. In his eyes, it made God greater. David's attitude wasn't, I'm so great, look at what God gives me. David's attitude was, God is so great, he even gives to me. We should receive God's blessings in the same same way, same attitude. God's giving reflects the greatness of the giver, not necessarily the greatness of the receiver, because the giver is great. Verse 20, David acknowledges that he doesn't know what to say in response to God's promise. He says again, what more can David say to you for you, Lord God, know your servant. I got a kick out of this, because if you've been with us in this series, we look back at a lot of the Psalms that David wrote during this time period. We know that David was a very verbal person. He was very outspoken in all his time. And for him to be tongue-tied at a spot like this is kind of humorous for us. He has to sit in silence and think about God's grace and kindness. Sometimes maybe we should heed that word and God's word of be still and know that I'm God. Just take a period of silence and think on how awesome, how blessed we truly are. He's able to keep quiet no longer, though. Verse 21. For the sake of your word and according to your own heart, you have done all this greatness to let your servant know. That word, your servant again. David uses this word, your servant, ten times in this prayer, showing a sign of his humbleness. David humbly accepts no. I think a lot of us would shine if God would tell us yes. But the true test of our faith and our trust in God is do we get dull when He says no, or do we shine more when He says no? See, God saying no is really just an opportunity for us to say yes. David is overwhelmed. He says, Lord, you've blessed my life. You've blessed my house. You brought me from leading sheep into this magnificent magnificent throne. Yet, who am I? I want us to sit right now, whether we're in my yard or whether we're at our houses. And I want us to think, who are we that we've been protected from so much? Who are we? that we've been protected when the rains continued to fall and mudslides happened across this world. Who are we when fires burned up an entire continent and left hundreds homeless? Yet we sit here with homes still intact. Who are we that our house has been blessed and kept safe? Who are we that we've got a means of keeping warm in the winter and cool in the summer? Who am I Lord that you have given me health and strength? Who am I that you've allowed me to pursue a job and a degree and a career and That others don't get to. Who are we that that you've made me parents? Who will encourage me on my journey of life? Who are we that you've given us kids to watch grow? Who am I that I am so blessed? Think about that this week. What has God blessed you with that you are so blessed to receive? David says fulfilled dream or no fulfilled dream. I am a blessed person. What a powerful moment and a powerful statement of praise that David gives us. 22 through 24, very shortly, he praises for the past providence as well. God has worked in David and through David to get his nation where he wants it to be. Pause and praise God for past provisions. Pause and praise God for what he's brought you through. Pause and praise God as he's given you victory over so many struggles in life, over so many downtimes, over so many valleys. Pause and praise God that while you, you weren't getting what you thought you deserved and what you wanted, God had something greater in store for you. And God has something magnificent and planned to use you for. Which leads us to the next praise that he has. He's got a praise for the future promise. I love this last section as we wrap up. 25 through 29, David begins to say, Now therefore, O Lord God, the word that you have spoken concerning your servant in his house, confirm it forever. And as you have spoken, establish it forever. And do as you said. David's way of praying. Here's a great lesson for us. This isn't a passive prayer of God. Just do whatever it is you want to do. It's not an arrogant prayer of God. Let me tell you what to do. This is a bold prayer of God. Here is what your promise was to me. Now I'm calling you out to fulfill it. A bold confidence and trust. In that knowing that whatever God says will come. The phrase therefore your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you emphasizes this, God, I'm only praying this way because you've promised it this way. And I'm calling you to do what you promised to do. God gave the promise, David believed it and prayed for the Lord to fulfill it. The Lord intends to fulfill all his promises in the word. We've got to confirm and understand it. God's promises are never meant to be wasted. They're meant to be used. It would be no different that if somebody gave you a blank check And signed it. And you never cashed it. What good would that check be? Nothing more than the value of the paper that it was printed on. God is telling you right now today, cash out my check. Cash out my promises. It glorifies God to use his promises. This is the kind of prayer that grabs God's promises. Just because God promised it, church, don't don't think we possess it. We've got to possess what God has promised. Through believing in prayer, God promises and therefore we must take because if we don't do the taking in faith, God's promise is left unclaimed. Here's some for us today. We may take his promise of forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you want that, you got to take that. We got to take his promise for peace. John chapter fourteen, twenty-seven. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives you do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. There's probably a promise every single one of us outside need during this time right now. Take peace and not fear. Psalm 32, 8. We've got to take his promise for guidance. I will instruct you. I will teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. How many believers are left every Sunday morning saying, I don't know which way to go. I don't know what it is, God, that you want. And where it is that you want me to go. And God is saying I will teach you. And I will guide you if you take my promise. We got to take his promise for growth. Philippians 1.6. He who has begun a good work. And you will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. We got to take his promise for help. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That we may obtain the mercy. And find grace of help in our time of need. Are you in a time of need? Well then seek God's promise. Claim God's promise. Take God's promise. David says in the last two verses, you are God and your words are true. The foundation of faith is trusting God for his word. Unbelief is giving God a lie. And I can't think of anything that could be worse than to give God a lie. He's not a lying God. David desired no more than God's word. And he expected no less. Is that us? Do we desire no more than God's word and expect no less than God's word? Or do we still think we have better ways of doing things? Or do we still think his ways don't apply? Even though it was disappointing to David, he focuses on God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Your will, nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. That ought to be our prayer. That ought to be our concern. David receives grace by receiving God's promises and praying in these promises and continuing on the path that God set David on and not getting on somebody else's path. My prayer is that we would wonder and be amazed at what God has built in our lives. That he lives in our heart, that he continues to build if we would only ask God first. Remember this this week, do what you can even when you can't do what you want. Prep the way for whoever it is that God has made a way for. When God reveals his will, accept it and praise him for it. Look at the moment of no as an opportunity to say yes. And just practice obedience, trust, and faith in God. And next week, we'll see what happens in 2 Samuel chapter 8. Let us pray. Father God, we are so grateful for this morning. God, you've made it a beautiful day. I pray, Lord God, that we take your beauty, God. Your your sun that you've made shine, Lord God. And we allow your S-O-N Son, Lord God, to shine inside of us. Lord, that we will be obedient to your word, God. God, we will... We will call you out on your promises, Lord God. Because you desire to fulfill those promises in every single one of your people. God, help us to acknowledge and remember that you aren't bound to a building or a certain set of walls or a certain roof, Lord God. But God, you want to reign in every single one of your believers. God, reign in us right now, Lord God, so that we can shower this world with your promises, with your grace, Lord God, with your blessings. Now more than ever, Lord God, we need to set the example for a world that is watching on what to do when crisis attacks. God, help us to respond the right way when you say, no, we're not right now, or wait. Help us to seek your will above everything else and to surrender our will to yours. For it's in your great name we pray, amen.